Well, hey, it's been a good series on finishing. Amen. And today we want to wrap up in Second uh, Timothy chapter four. I want to tell Andrew thank you for the great job he did pinching, pinch hitting for me last Sunday. Appreciate Andrew and appreciate his faithfulness in the Word of God. And um, just grateful for a church with a deep bench, lots of people, lots of anointed people here, and we're, we're grateful for your lives. All right, we're in First or Second Timothy four. And I'm calling this message Timothy's Final Exam because Paul is closing this epistle to his, writing, of course, to his spiritual son Timothy, and he's giving him a series of exams or admonitions. In fact, he's going to give Timothy three things we're going to focus on today. He's going to give him a charge. He's going to give him a, a, final, uh, a final word of encouragement, a word of exhortation. He's going to give him a warning. How many of you know when the Bible gives warnings, we need to to, uh, to perk up and listen, because those warnings are not just for them. Those warnings are for us today. So he's going to give them a warning, and then he's going to give them a testimony. And I don't know about you, but testimonies are powerful. When we hear people share what God's done in their lives, it gives us hope and it gives us encouragement. And so Paul's going to encourage his spiritual son by way of a testimony uh, that is going to... Uh, uh, again, be a source of great encouragement and exhortation to him. So let's take a look at the final charge, first of all. Turn with me uh, to the first verse of Second Timothy 4, and we're going to read that together. Paul says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. This is the introduction to the final charge. And how many of you know what Paul's doing here is very, very important because he's drawing the finish line for Timothy uh, very clearly. How many of you know it's hard to finish the race well? I'm going to make sure I'm talking to the right group. Anybody want to finish the race besides myself? It's hard to finish the race if you don't know where the finish line is. Paul is drawing a very clear finish line for his spiritual son. And this is what he's saying. He says, I'm urging you in the presence of God and Jesus, who will someday come to judge the living and the dead? How many of you know that is the finish line for every single human being that's ever lived? Why do we know for a fact that that's the finish line? How can we have confidence in what Paul just said there? You know, Pastor Dick was talking about the Lord's Supper and talking about the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And how many of you know God has given us a specific event, a historical event, so we're not just wondering and, you know, hoping and believing in some mythological, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling that maybe someday this is all going to work out. How many of you know the second coming of Jesus is rooted very clearly in a historical event called the resurrection, which forever settles the fact that God Almighty is true, that his son is the Savior, and if God could raise him from the dead, then guess what? You can take it to the bank that his son is absolutely coming back and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess and everybody's going to fall before God Almighty and before his exalted son, Jesus Christ. And hear me, give an account for your life. This should put the fear of God in us. <laughs> Do you ever fast forward your tape to that day? Because if you're wondering this morning why you're here, if you're wondering this morning, what's the point? If you're wondering this morning, what is this race I'm running and where is the finish line? Here's the finish line. Standing in the presence of God Almighty who's going to judge the living and the dead. Anybody ready for that moment? Oh my gosh. Paul many times says, in light of that day, in light of what's coming, how should we live? 
Can we just feel the weight of this for a moment? Does anybody feel in their own natural strength up for that moment when you're going to stand before the one whose blazing eyes can look through you and know you and read you and know every single thing about you and know your thoughts before you think them and your words before you speak them and know every second of your life, like on videotape, perfect knowledge of that, and you're standing before the Son of God who is going to, and you have to give an account for your life. Just take a big gulp. <laughs> Because here's the interesting thing. The Bible makes it clear. The living and the dead. That means everybody who's gone before us and who's currently dead. Every single human being who's ever lived is going to stand before the man Christ Jesus. This is radical. This is weighty. This is the finish line. And I'm grateful for your message, Pastor Dick. Because when I stand before Jesus or before God the Father and my life is going to be judged, I'm going to say something really smart. I'm with him. I'm going to point to Jesus. <laughs> I am with him. I can't even stand here apart from what he has done on my behalf. I'm here because of his shed blood. I'm here because of his perfect sacrifice. I'm here because he declared me righteous. I'm here because of all of his good works, not because of my good works. I'm here. I'm with him. I'm going to hold on real tight. He's my confidence. But he's also my finish line. And Paul's saying to Timothy, that's where you're headed. I want you to finish well. And, you know, Paul's writing this. This is his last hurrah. Paul is only moments away from his final breath on planet Earth. And he is painting that line. Paul can see it. How many of you know the older you get, the closer eternity presses in upon us. And you can begin to see the line ahead of you. Paul can see it. And he's saying to a young man who's a little bit farther away from crossing the line, hey, I'm going to give you a charge. And this is what he says in the charge. Look at the next verse. He says, preach the word. Preach the word. Now, this is not just a, a challenge. I want you to, sometimes you think, well, that's talking to you pastoral types or people that are called to, to preach. No, Paul is speaking to a spiritual son, not somebody who's a clergy member. This word applies to every one of you in the sound of my voice this morning. What is the word of the Lord? If you're going to finish well, preach the word of God. Look at what it says here in verses 1 and 2. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. I mean, you know, sound doctrine is important. Paul said in the previous chapter, Andrew was talking about it. Paul warned of perilous times that were coming. And let me just tell you, I don't believe the perilous times he's talking about are perilous out there. I mean, no, that's a given. We know that the world is full of peril. That is a given. He's talking about perilous times coming in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about a day coming when people are going to lose their grasp of the word and of sound doctrine. And how many of you know we are living in one of the most biblically illiterate times in church history? We have Christians that don't even know what God says. We have, we have believers who go to churches and some of them don't even preach the word of God any longer. We have people that don't know what God's standards are for sexuality, what God's standards are for gender, what God's standards are for life. What God's, how about this one? What are God's standards for who should represent us governmentally? How many of you know God has spoken on all these things? 
The Bible is our guidebook for life. And Paul says to Timothy, preach the word of God, whether it's favorable or unfavorable. And let me just tell you, we have been living in the most favorable nation on the earth. We have enjoyed decades and decades and decades of a favorable. In other words, what I'm saying is for us to declare the truth of God's word in public is pretty much well received, or at least it has been. How many of you have noticed there is a shift in our culture? When you preach the word of God today, we are in an unfavorable season. It could cost you your job. In fact, we're seeing this happen at an alarming rate. It should concern us as believers that our First Amendment liberties are being trampled today. We're living in an unfavorable time to stand up publicly for Jesus. Let me give you the word of the Lord. Preach it anyway. Stand for truth anyway. Be prepared, be instant, be pressing, be persistent. And I want you to see what Paul says to do with the word of God, because this is politically correct, incorrect today. He says, correct people. I mean, you know, we're living in, in, a, in the generation of, of political correctness where the worst thing you can do is try to impose your viewpoint on somebody else. I mean, the word correct suggests that you have the truth and somebody else needs to be fixed. I mean, you know, that's a cardinal sin today but I want to set you all free. We don't have to impose our opinion on anybody. In fact, I don't care about your opinion, my opinion. They're not worth much. God's opinion is worth a lot. And so we're not around running, sharing our opinions on things. In fact, pastors taught us, keep your opinion to yourself, but share God's opinion loudly and bring correction. Why do we need to bring correction? This word literally in the Greek means to convince with solid, compelling evidence to expose. How many of you know it's loving to expose wickedness? It's loving to expose perversion. It's the loving thing to do to tell somebody if they're going off a cliff. We need to be speaking correction into people's lives based on the word of God. It also says rebuke. Boy, that word sounds so unpopular today. Rebuke. Are you kidding me? This is what it means in the Greek, warning to prevent something from going wrong. In other words, if you can see this is not going to end well. How many of you know grown men who feel like they're a woman showing up in women's restrooms? This is not going to end well. Hello. How many of you know when we're out in front of abortion clinics pleading with people, listen, there's a better way. You don't have to do this. What are we saying? This is not going to end well. For you or for the baby in your womb or for anybody in your family. This is not going to end well. So we correct and we rebuke and also so we encourage people. I mean, you know, God is for us. His promises are true. He is the standard of reality. If we follow him, we're blessed. This is the good news that we preach. It's the good news of the gospel. It should encourage people. So Paul says, preach the word. But he also says to Timothy, reach your world. Look at verse 5. Reach your world, Timothy. He says, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. In fact, the King James says, be sober-minded. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given to you. Let's break that down a little bit. He says, be clear-minded or sober. The picture here is be free from the intoxicating effects of sin. How many of you know if you're not careful and you don't stay sharp, and you don't stay close to God, and you don't stay in fellowship, and you don't stay in the Word, 
If you drift away, how many know you get dull in a hurry? You get inebriated. You get intoxicated with the world and the way the world thinks. How many of you know your standard of holiness begins to get really gray? How many of you know your heart, your passion for Jesus begins to get cold? What's happening? You're not sober-minded. And let me, let me just tell you, when I hear Christians today talking about we need to evolve on certain issues, listen, I want to tell them you are absolutely stone-cold drunk. You are drunk on worldliness and ungodliness. What is your problem? How many of you know the gospel's not that complex? How many of you know when God says don't do something, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out or to be a Greek scholar to figure it out? The Bible is clear. But when we get inebriated, we start twisting the Bible to mean things that it doesn't mean at all. We start saying, well, what did, how about this? What did God really mean? You're a spiritual drunk. You're staggering drunk if you can't figure out plain English and you can't read the plain text. Something's the matter with your heart. You've lost your sober-mindedness. Paul says, be ready to suffer. Ah, why did he put that in there? Dang! Let's cut that out. Let me just tell you another reason why it's important to go to the nations. Because they can teach us something about suffering. We're just now beginning to have to pay a little bit of a price for standing up, are are we? Now we're starting to pay a little bit of a price. Now you got to watch what you say and where you say it because it could cost you something. But we're still not getting our heads cut off. We're still not being driven out of communities. You know, when we were in Laos and we were watching the believers there that had had to flee from one community to another, um, all of a sudden I realized... uh, the love these people have for Jesus Christ and what it means to suffer a little bit. It was very humbling when Dick and Susie introduced us to the pastor in an underground church in China who had, who had spent decades in uh, forced labor, solitary confinement for his faith, and I'm sitting next to this man. How many of you know you have a, a feeling at that moment of being really small and of who am I? And, uh, and he said, would you pray for me? Are you kidding me? What in the world do I have to add to this man's life who's in his 90s and has suffered for two decades for the gospel because, ready for this, he would not take the Chairman Mao version of the Bible that had all the supernatural cut out, that cut out the second coming, the finish line, that cut out all the miraculous move of Jesus in the Bible. He held on to the Bible, the real Bible, and it cost him two decades from his newlywed wife who, by the way, waited faithfully for him, praying for him for two decades after being a newlywed wife. And I'm supposed to pray for them. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? Would you please pray for me so that I could have that kind of passion and conviction and courage to live half of the life that you lived for the sake of the gospel? Be ready to suffer. I'm just telling you prophetically, be ready to suffer. And if you're going to stand up for Christ, you're going to experience some heat before it starts turning. All right? And I believe it can turn, but you're going to experience some heat. Share Jesus, Paul says, with others. And he says, fully carry out the ministry, the sacred trust that you have from God. I love the way that says this in the Greek. It says, wearing the work of God to the fullest extent, go on to full capacity. Isn't that good? 
Every one of us have been given a work from God, gifts from God, supernatural enablements from God, callings from God, and here's our challenge in this life. Max it out to the fullest. Be all that you can be. Fully be working at full capacity for the work of the Lord. Isn't that a great vision to have? And listen, why is Paul saying this? Because he wants you to finish. Why am I saying this to you? I want you to finish. Let me let me ask you this question. What is the finish line for a pastor? Am I going to be measured by how many people are seated? Am I going to be measured by how much money we raise? Am I going to be measured by God, by how much buildings we have? I'm not, I'm not minimizing any of that, but I'm just telling you, that is not the finish line. You know what the finish line for a shepherd is? How many people in the congregation finished with me? Amen? What kind of a shepherd doesn't finish? Or how about this? What kind of a shepherd crosses by himself? Your shepherding is based on how many you bring with you. And I'm just telling you, you're all under shepherds as well. Your standard is how many are going to finish with you. Who are you bringing across the line? That's your standard. Not just me finish. I I want to go back and make sure everybody that we've had a chance to minister to, we all finish together. Amen? And then Paul goes on after giving a final charge. He turns to him and he gives him a final warning. Let's take a look at the warning. Verse 3. For a time is coming, the Bible says, when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. And they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Paul's not referring here to unbelievers. He's talking about Christian people. And he says the time is coming when people aren't going to listen to the whole counsel of God. In fact, that that word uh, here, sound teaching, means holistic. It means all the parts working together. How many of you know we don't have the luxury to pick and choose which Bible verses we like and which we don't like? When I hear nationally known teachers, and I will not mention their names, who get interviewed on national television and ask very clear questions about same-sex marriage or about uh, some type of sexual sin that the Bible talks about, and they say something like this, you know, we just don't talk about those things. Our job is just to encourage people. Really? You don't talk about those things. Well, listen, God talks about those things. And if you are representing him... You don't have the luxury to pick and choose or to shape your ministry to fit people's itching ears. If you are sitting under somebody who's teaching things that never ruffle your feathers, that never cause conviction in your spirit, that never jerk your chain when your chain needs jerking, you are going to be on the love boat cruising all the way to hell. I mean, you know, there are people that will go to churches... They will lead them to hell. They'll feel good the entire journey till they go over the cliff. How is it that the gospel never makes us uncomfortable? When we're sinners and we're in need of constant adjustment. I don't know about you. I need to be adjusted. I need adjustment. I need, I need the word of God to sharpen me. 
I need God to convict me in my quiet time when I'm reading. And I said, oh, really, Lord? Don't go there. I'm, I'm having a happy, warm, fuzzy moment. And you had to bring that up. Are you kidding me? We are living in maximal itchy ear time. When Here's the message for most of the church. Just hug everybody. Jesus loves you. What a truncated half message. He loves you enough to change you. Come on. We sit under teaching that just confirms our biases. And as soon as somebody preaches something that ruffles our feathers, we look for somewhere else to go where we can be at ease. Listen, a good shepherd will constantly be throwing glass in your nest because you were created to fly, not camp out. You're created to fly. We're created to be on the move. We're created to be constantly pushing on the borders where we're uncomfortable. You know it's true. None of us likes it. But you know it's true. You're most alive when you're closest to death. Whoa! You're most alive when there's some danger involved. In fact, you're really nasty to be around when everything's comfortable. You know how I know that? Because I'm nasty to be around when everything's comfortable. God's whole purpose in this was to push us to the edge and to keep us fully alive and fully dependent upon him. Notice what it says in verse 4. They will reject the truth and they will chase after myths. A myth is simply a fabrication which replaces what is truth. You know, I'm so sick and tired. I shared this first service. If I had $250 million, I would start a K through 12 school and a university that was so radically Jesus-centered and so biblically saturated and so focused on mission and getting people on the move and so focused on reclaiming nations for the gospel. Because this is what we're dealing with right now. I'm telling you from experience. What we're dealing with right now, we already know the Purdue's and the IU's and the Ball States, they're already fully embracing uh, things that the Bible strictly forbids. In fact, IU came out celebrating uh, the, a, a redefinition of marriage. And, and, uh, and here's what was my question. Where were the Christian universities? And let me tell you where they were. They're not talking about those things because their federal funding is now attached to those things. You know why we're seeing all these SOGI laws being pushed in all these local communities? Because federal dollars for roads and things like this, the Obama administration is attaching all of this sexual revolution uh, stuff attached to money. It's called bribery. It's called extortion. Let me give you the, the founding father's name for it. Tyranny. And we have Christian presidents who I heard with my own ears say, we need to evolve on these issues. Your job as a Christian president of a university dedicated to the glory of God is not to evolve where God, the unchanging God, is not moving. That is a dereliction of duty. That, 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 is, a, that is an absolute... Uh, uh, Throwing away your mantle. That, that, that it, is, it is a sellout. And I'm telling you, 
I could mention the universities right now because the presidents get together and they talk about these things behind closed doors uh, because they're afraid of losing their funding. Let me just tell you something. It's going to take some courage for somebody to say, you know what, federal government, take your funding and stick it somewhere where the sun doesn't shine because I'm not compromising the word of God and I'm going to believe that the God of all creation can bless our state and bless our nation, whether you're sending us a dime or not. We'll do it by ourselves. That's what it's going to have to take. We've had two governors that should be celebrated in our nation right now. The governor of North Carolina, who's under assault, and the governor of Mississippi, who had enough common sense and fear of God to say, you know what, we're not letting men into our women's restrooms because they, because they feel like it. You know, I've had people that left this church after I called them and followed up. One lady said to me, I can't believe, Pastor, you preached on abortion. Are you kidding me? That shows you how pathetic the church is. We have 3,000 babies murdered every day in this country. And I think God's concerned about that. And we got preachers that won't touch it in church because they're afraid. You know what? We had somebody leave the church after we preached about a biblical vision for marriage and gender. And you know what they told me when I called them up? Um, Pastor, I have friends that are gay, and I don't think they would like to come to this church because I want them to feel comfortable. Well, you know what? I have friends that are gay, and I love them enough with tears coming down my face after I visited them in the hospital and after we send flowers, and after we demonstrate the love of Jesus, I love them enough to try to let them know God can change a behavior that's going to destroy them and damn their soul. That's how much I love them. But God forbid. God forbid we say these things in the house of God where we're all just supposed to be doing a big cinnamon roll group hug telling you that's a counterfeit gospel. It is a gospel that will not save you. It is a gospel that will not conform you to the image of God. It is a gospel that will lull you to sleep. And it is a gospel where you will not be able to find your finish line and you won't be able to complete your race. And I'm telling you, you're going to stand before God someday. And I'm trying to help you. And the gospel's trying to help you. And the church of Jesus is trying to help you. But you want to sit and listen to people who will tickle your ears and tell you what you want to hear. So you go to an affirming, accepting church that will hug you all the way to hell. God forbid. Paul said, I'm warning you. There will be people that will lose their appetite for truth. They'll lose their appetite for the word of God. And it's not going to be people out there that are lost. It's going to be people who profess to be lovers of Jesus Christ. 
I'm telling you, we're fighting battles right now in our own backyard in Valparaiso and Munster, um, where if the church does not show up, and here's the sad thing, all these people show up, and when they get up to the microphone and testify, there are people who should know better. They're church-going people. They're pastors of God's people who can't even understand God's understanding of sexual ethics. And they stand up there and embrace what God has specifically condemned. And it's not the unsafe people we got problems with. It's religious people who have lost their way. Who no longer stand for God's truth. And then who call people that do bigots or haters or whatever, discriminators. You're going to stand before the God of glory. The God who burns with absolute holiness. And you're going to give an account for and for what he said. Did it matter to you? Did you tremble at his word? Or does it not matter to you? Don't you dare go to a place that will tell you what you want to hear and lull you to sleep while you fall into some spiritual coma and either miss your destiny or absolutely miss eternity because you just wanted to be happy clappy all the time. Let me tell you what makes you happy. Holiness makes you happy. Obedience will make you happy. The presence of God will make you happy. Listen, I've already drawn my line. I got my finish line in sight. Here's my standard on Sunday morning. Out of all the people I would love to come here, there's one person that I want to have come here more than anybody else, Jesus. I want the presence of God to be so tangible in this place that when you come, you feel loved because we're hugging you, we're greeting you in the parking lot, at the door, at the next door, at the coffee place. People are hugging you, greeting you, loving you. But when worship begins, you sense the glory of God descending on you. And you're like, I need more of you, God. I don't want to live the way that I'm living. I hugged a dear lady after first service. She was just so tormented because of what the enemy's been doing in her life. And she's she's been separated and her family beats her up. And, and she was just feeling tormented. And, and, and we just hugged and I loved her. I said, God is for you. You don't have to live this way. Keep being plugged into these people. They're crazy, I know, but they'll love you. And they'll believe in you. Get involved in our women's Bible study. Get in a life group. Let people in your life that can help peel the garbage off of you. She was saying, oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. She's listing all of her sins. How many of you know, you can be in grieving over your sins, but aren't you glad you're in a place where Jesus covers it all and washes you and breaks the power of your sin? That's what the church is. I want to cry during worship. I want my heart to explode during worship. I want the word of God to penetrate and bring correction when it needs to be and also bring encouragement in my life. What kind of church do you want to go to? Come on. <laughs> I had a feeling that's why you're that's why you're still here. I had a news reporter. In fact, they're calling us tonight. I got NBC and, and MSNBC wanting to come to the event tonight to be a part of all this. How I many you know that's inviting the enemy into your camp right there? But one of them said to me sometime, "Well, Pastor, aren't you afraid if you, you know, preach on these things from the pulpit, you, you might offend somebody and they they might leave?" I said, "No." 
I said, I'm believing that they'll hear the truth and they'll be convicted in their heart and they'll have an encounter with Jesus and they'll be forever rocked. That's what I'm believing. Can you all give me just five minutes? I promise you, five more minutes. A final charge, a final warning, and a final testimony. Because it's been heavy at this point. I want to encourage your heart. Paul gives a testimony about what he has personally done. Look in verses 6 and 7. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. And look at what he says. Oh, oh, to be able to say this with a clear conscience before God Almighty. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my race. And I have remained faithful to the end. That is the message of a finisher. Can you get that vision in your heart? To be able to say that, say it with me. I have fought the good fight. Say it. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. Doesn't that just feel good? It feels good to say that. And Paul is literally, I mean, you know, the more mature you get, the closer that the weight of eternity gets. And Paul can literally see his finish line. He says, I know I'm going to die. And he knew it. I mean, he's, he got his head chopped off. Uh, he knew that was just around the corner. But he said this to his young son. And I want to be able to say this to my kids. I want to be able to say this to my spiritual kids. At the end of my life, my dad ran the race. He finished. He fought the fight. He was faithful all the way to the end. That's the testimony I want to be able to give right there. And for my kids to be able to say this, because here's good reasoning. If God could do that in my dad, he could do it in me. I say that to each of you. If God can do it in the Apostle Paul, guess what? He's no respecter of persons. You can finish. You can fight. You can run the race. You can be faithful. And if right now you're in a stinking ditch and you've given up and you quit and your life's a mess, listen to me. You can start the race this day, right now. You can get up. You can start running. You can be forgiven. You can re-enter. And by the grace of God, you can finish your race. That's pretty stinking good news right there. Come on. Woo! All right. But that's not even the best news. I got two minutes left. Listen to this. It's not so much about me finishing the race. Look at what God's going to do on our behalf. Look at verse 8. Paul says this. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, is going to give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me. Who is it for? For all of you guys who eagerly look forward to his appearing. How many of you know God is a rewarder? There's not one sacrifice you or I are going to make this side of eternity that can properly be called a sacrifice because God's watching it all. And there is a mega reward for righteousness and obedience coming. You all believe that? It is a motivation to live a godly life. This is not the end. This is not even the arena. This is just a, a, a vapor. And look it down. Jump down to verses 17 and 18. Paul talks about all these things. Nobody stood with him. Everybody abandoned him. But look at what he says. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death 
And look at verse 18. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And then Paul can't contain himself. He starts erupting in praise and worship to God. He says, all glory to God forever and ever. Amen. God is a rewarder, God is a deliverer, and God is the one that's going to finish the work that he started in us. So when you feel weak, grab on. You have you have a finisher next to you. When you feel overwhelmed, hang on. You'll have somebody that will carry you for part of the journey. Come on. When you feel like everybody's abandoning you, don't you dare fall into that trap for the Lord. God is with me. He is my helper. In fact, I'll say this in closing. There's 18 people Paul mentions at the end of, of, uh, of chapter 4. 18 people. Some of them were his enemies. They worked against him. Some of him deserted, some of them deserted him. But he also mentions a whole bunch of folks that were a blessing to him and stood with him. What that tells me is this. This whole process of finishing is a group process. You're going to have many, many opportunities to be offended. Anybody want to raise their hand and say, yep, that's me. You're going to have opportunities to be wounded. You're going to have opportunities to be rejected. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to have people that you thought were your friends that are going to do you great harm. I'm just encouraging you. All right? You're going to have uh, 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 people that will just be mean to you. And I'm not talking about out there. I'm talking about in the church family. But listen to me. You're going to have people that will stand with you through thick and thin. You'll have people that will give you the shirt off their back. You'll have people that when you're at your lowest moment, they will be there for you and they won't quit on you. You'll have people on your worst day when you're ugly and nasty, they'll just come right alongside and say, honey, I'm staying with you. We're going to have a better day ahead. When you're addicted, when you're stressed out, when you're far from God, when you're full of bitterness, it'll be people in God's family that'll be there for you and love you and fight for you and pray for you, invest in you, give you money. Uh, They will be there for you because, listen, finishing is a group project. It requires our obedience. It requires a whole bunch of help, and it requires God's help to get us to the finish line. But I'm just going to prophesy over all of you. Every single one of you will finish your race, and every single one of you is going to finish strong, and every single one of you is going to move fully into God's calling on your life. And how about this one? Every single one of you someday will look Jesus in the eye, and you won't hang your head in shame. You'll be saying, praise God, I knew where the finish line was, and I went after it. Come on, stand your feet. Yes, Jesus. Come on, honor the Lord with me. Let's give him a hand. The author and finisher of our faith. The trailblazer, Jesus Christ. Yes, you're worthy. You're worthy. I want our leadership team to come up here, and we want to pray for people at the close of the service. If you are somebody that's felt like you've been weighted down with a lot of stuff, Come on up here and let's rip it off. Let's break the chains. Let's set you free today so you can run your race, all right? There might be people here this morning, you've never bowed your knee to Christ. I already shared with you the finish line. It is real. And you don't want to show up at the end of your race completely unprepared to meet the Lord. So come this morning. There are people here that want to pray with you and just introduce you to Christ. It's going to be the most awesome day in your life Trust me on this. Come forward and let God rock your life. He loves you. That's why you're here today.
And don't forget, I, I'm playing my pastor card, 6.30 tonight. If you're free, come on out, support this great man of God. And, uh, and then before we leave today, make sure you, I'm going to let our, uh, our uh, guests right now, our new members, if you guys want to slip out right now and go to the to a welcome center, all right? It's kind of going to be a greeting line. I want you to get there ahead of us because we want to love on these folks. If you haven't met some of the people on stage today, uh, make sure you go by and greet them, all right? And I need your help after we pray. If you don't need ministry, I need you to help me do a sweep of the sanctuary for Jane. Pick up every cup and communion cup and whatever you find on the floor, water bottles. We just want to make sure the sanctuary has a quick turnover for our meeting tonight, all right? Marriage class, 4 o'clock. Um, and I think that just about covers uh, Mongolia orientation tonight, 5 o'clock. This meeting, 6.30. Man, are we partying or what? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the strong admonition from the Apostle Paul for all of us to finish well. Thank you, God, for the grace to do it, for the vision to see it, and for the strength to carry it out. Now, Lord, bless your people. God, we want to run hard this week. We want to be faithful. We want to be fruitful. We want to impact people for your kingdom. So, Jesus, help us to be great lovers of you and great lovers of people. We love you. We're just so encouraged by your word, God. We're inspired to chase after you harder than we ever have. So, Jesus, help us again to run our race and to bring you great glory. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week. If you need prayer, come on down.